Welcome back to the Loftcast, QPR's official podcast. I'm Ian Taylor from the QPR media team, and today I'm joined by my esteemed QPR colleagues, Andy Sinton and Paul Morrissey. On this episode of the pod, we'll be picking the bones out of Saturday's narrow defeat to Huddersfield Town at Loftus Road, as well as looking ahead to two massive games in the space of four days in the Championship, as we, the R's, prepare for two crucial fixtures against Birmingham and Wigan. We'll also be joined by Matt Smith, a player Andy Sinton actually tried to sign during his managerial days. Gawongo now sprays it to the left-hand side and Gawagawa gets away from his marker, gets in the cross, Matt Smith goes in there, can't get the shot away, in goes Washington, drops to Freeman! And Freeman, just moments after coming on, scores on his home debut! What an impact by Luke Freeman! Chaps, it's been a few weeks since we uh, last recorded and it's been a, a couple of tough weeks really, we've certainly not had it. All our own way. Um, After a tough battling draw at Newcastle, we were hard done by at Blackburn, you have to say, and then lost at home to Huddersfield on Saturday. It's been a tough spell, Andy. Yeah, tough few weeks. You know, we we picked up a little bit of momentum um, before we went into the Burton game. Then you you lose that one. You go up to Newcastle and you have a horrendous start, but we put on a really good performance and got a a well-deserved point. So you come off the back of that, you know, full of optimism. You go to Blackburn, totally in control, on top, miss a couple of chances, have a goal. I say it wasn't even disallowed, it just wasn't given. <laughs> Everybody uh, keeps saying it was disallowed, but it was never given. Never, never given, so um, then got done with a sucker punch. Then Saturday, you know, just come up a little bit short again. So, yeah, difficult couple of weeks in terms of results rather than performances. I think we could talk about goal line technology all day long and I think there's a meeting at the uh, Football League in the uh, coming weeks and again that will be on the agenda but um, just on that goal that never was Paul and we don't want to dwell on it too much because it was a while ago now you were at that game and you were in the press box and I think you were at quite a, a high vantage point there at Ewood Park but everybody in and around the game itself thought it was over the line and for both officials not to see it was a bizarre one, really, because they normally get them ones right. A good indicator, you're right, normally they do get those ones right. A good indicator is always the reaction of the players. Both sets of players. Both sets of players on that occasion. If the referee wasn't sure, he just needed to look at their body language because Connor Washington immediately celebrated and then looked. Joel Lynch didn't even bother to look at the linesman to see if it had been given. He's jumping on top of Connor to celebrate, and it was only when... Joel only realised that it wasn't a goal when Connor wasn't celebrating because Joel didn't even bother to take a second look. Yeah. That's how clear it was. And you're right, the reaction as well of the Blackburn players, it was almost a half-hearted clearance because it's gone in, but let's clear it anyway and see if we can get away yep. with it. Oh my goodness, we have got away with it. But yeah, I mean, and the replays just confirmed what most of the stadium knew anyway. Anything like that in your career that, that springs to mind? I mean, the high-profile one, you look back at the Frank Lampard ones and the... The Pedro Mendes from halfway when Roy Carroll spilled it over his line. Any games you've been involved in since that you can recall? Not that I can recall that was as clear cut as that. Listen, as a player, you always chance your arm. and you know, It was know, in ref. Of course, yeah. Or it wasn't in defending if you were defending, you know. But I'm like Paul. I'm sitting you didn't defend much, though. <laughs> I did, but badly. Um, I'm like Paul. I'm sitting 80 yards away. But sometimes when you're watching the game, you'll think, was it? But I was adamant I could see the ball and the line. Uh, 
And I'm saying to people in there, you don't need to watch that back. That was a Especially goal. there, because they have that weird strip of Astro <coughs> yeah, behind the as well, which should have made it color. even more obvious. Really. <laughs> yeah, because anyway, let's not dwell on it. Because what we... was interesting was a week later... Okay, we'll dwell on it. <laughs> <laughs> a, a week later, it happened against Blackburn, and the Blackburn manager said afterwards, how can it not be given it's when it's over the line? I mean, karma... Perhaps, but normally it takes a season for these things to iron out. It managed yeah. to happen in a weekend. And just qu- very quickly, going back to the Newcastle game, um, because we did play so well in that match, and I thought what a telling point was in the home match against them when we lost 6-0 and John Joe Shelby just controlled the game mm. and was pretty much doing what he liked. He's putting in heavy challenges. Looked like Lionel Messi that Wasn't night. really getting them back. And I thought what was interesting was at St James's Park when... Shelby kicked out at Jamie Mackey and was lucky really to stay on the pitch but he kicked out at Jamie Mackey and he probably thought again he'll just get away with it and run the show and yep. all of a sudden he had Jamie Mackey an inch from his face Ruffling telling him what feathers. he thought of him yeah. and it didn't quite work because about 60 seconds later Newcastle scored but that for me summed up the difference in the yep. two performances that we weren't going to allow Newcastle and, and John Joe Shelby in particular to dominate us and we won't dwell on that match too much but one thing I do want to say, and you were up there since, and so was I, our supporters that night, 600-odd, were absolutely outstanding for the whole 90 minutes. Even in the first minute where we go a goal down, you could have heard a pin drop um, at some stages around that stadium, but you couldn't have heard a pin drop right in the, in the gods there, mm-hmm. opposite the Gallagher end, because our fans did not stop. Yeah, they were brilliant. You know, uh, a hell of a long journey that we all made. You know, some people would have stayed up overnight. You, you look at the cost element, you know, midweek, um, freezing cold freezing cold but well, it wasn't that cold if you're yeah, from there you know uh, I'm sitting there with my blazer on but by the by no um, yeah. fans were brilliant they've been brilliant all season um, I thought you know, that night though especially they were they were different class you know and you, you, you concede after 41 seconds or 40 seconds and you could be forgiven because I'm thinking well, here we go what, again. what happened the last time you know when we played them here we go again but credit to the players that night credit to the team but double credit to the fans looking back then at Huddersfield it was a a classic game of two halves, really, and I know it's a bit of a football cliche, but we were certainly second best in the first half, um, but then went on to dominate the, the second half. And I always find that really intriguing when watching games, uh, almost on the flip of a coin or of, you know, a change in events, and things just change like that. And I always think to myself, well, how's it gone like this? Why has it happened? But we were certainly second best in the opening 20, 25 minutes and they took full advantage. But they're a very good side. Well, you say we were second best in the first 20 minutes. You know, if you look at... Uh, maybe goal, after that, sorry. Maybe from Goalkeepers made a great save from Connor Washington. You know, low Tip down, tips on the post. Yeah. Manning probably should hit the target from 16, 17 yards. From about the 20-minute mark, I thought they really took control yeah. and looked what they are, a good side, the, the form side of the division. Once they got their noses in front, they looked like... And they had an extra body on the pitch, let's it be fair. It was that midfield battle, wasn't it? Um, I think Mui, the guy they've got on loan yeah. from um, Manchester City, with the, the bald-headed guy in the middle of the park, was orchestrating proceeding. Izzy Brown was getting in some great little areas. Narky Wells was playing just off. And it, it was working really well for them. And when they took their, when they took their two chances, you're, you're thinking, oh, we're staring down the barrel here, Paul. Yeah, it, it did look that way. I think, obviously, in the second half, he changed it tactically and had Pavel Shoak further up the pitch as well, which made a massive difference. I think he was... I think he was, he was keen to have the likes of Shoek, Mackie on the pitch together. And, it was just, and two strikers. Yeah, as, of course, as well as Matt Smith and Connor Washington up front. And I think he was, he's, well, like we've said earlier, you know, he's bringing in all these different players. It is going to take time for, yeah. for him to find a system that works and, and gets the players he wants. 
on the pitch, but I, I thought second half we did look really dangerous. And Matt Smith and Connor Washington, it's the ultimate big man, little man pairing. But Quinn and Phillips, but, yeah, back in the day. Let's hope as successful. Smith is someone I, I think who's going to, we'll obviously be speaking with him shortly, but I think he's someone who's going to become a, a real fan's favourite because he does give the lot, doesn't he? What did you make of that double act? Uh, lots, of, lots of good things, you know, even in the first half. Um, it's about understanding, I think I mentioned before, little partnerships, working out who you're playing with. And there's times with, with Matt, as I say, I've seen him when he was playing non-league, you know, and you, you could see him the other day. He's not just six foot five or six foot six and <coughs> flicking it on anyway. He's very clever with what he does. You, yeah. you see him sometimes almost craning his neck to try and guide things into people. And that'll just take time on the training ground. But if you're going to use Matt Smith, uh, Smith, um, you have to get people gambling. You have to get people in and around them for the bits and pieces, and and that will come. But no, I, I saw some really promising signs. I've not played at any decent level, but I do know if you've got a big man up front, the temptation is always to ping one in in and around the 18-yard box. As a as a former player yourself, have you played with any you know, really gangly big strikers that there is always that temptation just to? to deliver and, and see what he can... It's probably different for you as a winger, but when you're a more central player, like a, maybe a centre-half that gets the ball on the halfway and you look up and you see this six-foot-six guy, you, the temptation is always there, surely. I think that can be the danger. Uh, you know, you've got that big guy up front and you you almost go route one-ish. You need to vary it, uh, I guess. I think you need to vary it. And I think Paul touched on it the second half. Yeah. What was more evident, uh, things were coming in the mat rather than around 50, 60 yards straight. Yeah. They were coming in more from the side, from crossing, crossing angles, and that's where he'll thrive, and that's where he'll get on the end of things, and that's where he'll, he'll cause havoc in defences. Do you think then that um, the 3-4-3 slash 3-5-2 system may be one that we dispense with now and we perhaps go with a 4-4-2 because that would evidently perhaps bring out the best in, in Smith, two wide wingers getting a ball into the box? I think I've said it before, you know, formations, 3-4-3, three, 5-3-2, three, three, you know, it's up to the players, but I, I get what people say, but I think, you know, the second half on Saturday, we almost simplified our game a little mm -hmm. bit, we didn't overplay, um, we had to force the issue, because we were 2-0 down, and we did, and from that, you get a lot of goal-mouth action, fans love that, fans get behind that, and we quite easily walked away from that game the other day with something in the bag, or deservedly something in the bag, you know, penalty shouts, keepers made a couple of good saves, etc., etc. But it was all action that last half hour once we got about a 2-1. And have we got the players now that are more suited to 4-4-2? You look at the activity in the transfer window, obviously bringing in Matt Smith to potentially partner Connor Washington and the wide men. We've obviously got Pavel Showick, but bringing in Luke Freeman who can obviously play wide. Kazenga Luwa who so far has been limited in terms of game time, but again, when he came on he against Huddersfield, well, yeah. he did very well. The Freeman one's a, a strange one, isn't it? Because I thought he was a left-sided player, and yet he played almost in a central midfield role, and he really took the game by the scruff of his neck, didn't he, when he came on? But yeah, I think you're right that you've got Pavel, you've got Kazenga, you've got um, Yeni as well that can play in a wide role, Freeman that can play on the left-hand side. So I think there's that versatility now amongst our midfield, but like you said earlier in the piece... It's making sure we find that almost settled 11 very early on because, you know, we're in a real battle here and there's not many games to go now. So you need to almost find that level of consistency where you're starting 11. Well, I think what Enol, you know, what's he been in the building? He's been in three months. He'll still be, uh, and he'll have done that very quickly, as you've seen what he's done in the, the transfer window. He'll be working his players out. He'll be looking at who can do exactly what he wants, who he can rely on. 
whose fitness levels are where they need to be, you know. But uh, as you quite rightly say, games are running out. We need to start getting more from what our performances deserve. Does that make sense? I yeah. don't think we've had the right return for what we've delivered, but we've got to stop being a little bit unlucky. Yeah, because you do look back at games. I look back at Derby at home, Villa at home. I thought we deserved to probably draw or, or at least win both of those games. Huddersfield again at the weekend. But, yeah, it, you can't be going on about bad luck stories um, for too long. But to, just touching on Luke Freeman, he came on and there were a couple of Olays early on with some of the lovely touches he's shown. And I thought he was more of a combative wide player that like to get at people and get balls in the box. But he showed some real flair. Yeah, he's, he's, very, he's very creative. And even aside from his goal, great goal, but even aside from his goal, I thought he had a, an excellent performance. But it'd be interesting to see where Ian Holloway sees him. Because like you say, he played central midfield and was a dominant force in the centre of the park. But you've got Sean Goss who sat on the bench waiting for yeah. his opportunity to have his running. Just on time. that though, Ryan Manning played on the left, didn't he, in the second half? And yeah, as a left every back. credit to him because he really took to that role well, didn't he? Yeah, he did really well, you know. Credit, uh, you know, playing out of position, but mm. I think that was probably forced on Ian to a degree, mm. uh, you know, with because you're chasing the game, chasing the game. It was brave, wasn't it? Because very, very taking brave. off Jake Bidwell and then playing a young central midfielder in a left back position, but encouraging him to get forward. It's a a brave move, but it's so nearly paid off. In and terms I think of because, because of his dead balls being so good, Ryan, I think they wanted to keep him on the pitch just for that, really, if, if anything else. Yeah, quite right as well. But you mentioned Luke Freeman. You know, uh, I thought, you know, if I can have my penny worth him, I thought he was excellent. You know, he came in real dry from the middle of the park, uh, used the ball really well, was able to get past their midfield with and without the ball. And what a strike for his goal. You know, does what he, a strike. Does, he, does Ian Holloway start him at Birmingham? If I'm in Holloway, uh, yes, on, yeah. on what he showed the second half. And because you've got these three games coming up, haven't you? It's three in a week, um, mm. Saturday, uh, Birmingham, Wigan, Preston. So there, there will be some tinkering inevitably. And if anybody's put himself in a box, it's, it's Luke Freeman, I would argue. Yeah. Which is the most important game, Birmingham or Wigan? All three. <laughs> but if you, if you can win one of them, you'd probably say the Wigan game, wouldn't you? Based on that, will he, I'm throwing it out there, no have one eye on the Wigan game, which is only three days I, later. I don't think you can. I, can was, you I was brought up and your next game is your most important game. Cliche. I, I don't think... <laughs> cliche, yeah. I don't think we got the luxury of being able to take your one eye off one game for the next game. You can't um, because what are we? We've got 15 left now? Yeah. Mm. So then yeah. if you're just saying, oh, OK, well, Birmingham doesn't matter, then you're down to 14. Every point. Then say if Wigan goes wrong, well, Preston on arrival, so forget that one more, folk. Yeah. Before every, you know it, every point's precious now. Every game matters, you know, um, and we got to go into each game. Another cliche for you, almost like it's a cup final, but that's the way we have to approach it. We're in a 15-game season. We're in a good position, if you look at it from that point of view. But we are looking over our shoulder, and we got to start getting points from these games that we're in, but we're coming away empty-handed with. Rangers, Washington's away down the left-hand side. In for Smith, first oh. shot. What a save, Danny Ward. The second wonder save he's pulled off in this game. Out for a corner. Rangers must be wondering why they're not level. Matt Smith, thanks for joining us on the Loftcast. A couple of weeks now into your uh, QBR career, I guess the only place to start is how big a decision was it to swap uh, South West London for West London? Yeah, obviously, um, you know, on paper, moving to a rival team doesn't always look the best. But um, for me, it was all about playing regular football and, and sort of um, getting my spark back. And in that respect, it's been a, a frustrating few months um, at Fulham. Mm. Um, 
you know, by the first month of the season, I wasn't really getting a look in. So um, the opportunity to, to sort of join such a, such a great club, such as QPR, was, was too good for me to turn down. And um, once I'd met with, with the manager and Les Ferdinand, who, who really sold me the club and, and gave me their sort of vision for how things were, were going to pan out in the future, it was, it was such an attractive prospect for me that it was, as I said, too good to turn down. That's quite refreshing, isn't it, since in, in this present day, because there's a lot of players, rightly or wrongly, that are just willing to pick up a paycheck and sit on the bench and maybe get the odd minute here and there. But that's quite a refreshing attitude, Matt's just, just shown that. It's a great attitude. Uh, you know, I'm a little bit old school, probably my age, but players surely want to play. You know, uh, and Matt's just said, you know, you start the season, scored the first game of the season, I think, you know... Uh, um, so you started really, really well. So it's frustrating when you're not on the side and you're sitting on the sidelines. So uh, no, refreshing attitude and uh, we're delighted that he's joined us. We speak of frustration and it's probably been a frustrating start for you to life at QBR because despite two fairly decent performances in your time here, looking back at Blackburn and Huddersfield, two games that have yielded no points but arguably deserve maybe three, if not six. Yeah, uh, I thought um, the performance has definitely warranted more in, in, on both occasions. Certainly um, the Blackburn game, I didn't really feel that we were under any sort of pressure by the last attack, their last attack of the game. Um, and likewise, Huddersfield, Huddersfield on Saturday, I thought our second half performance more than merited at least a point. Um, but that's the nature of the championship. Mm-hmm. You know, I've been around the division long enough to know that uh, you've got to put your chance away when you get them. Um, certainly getting that first goal is key, um, which which had we done on uh, Huddersfield on Saturday might have been a bit different. But um, I think, you know, certainly looking at the squad, we've got more than enough firepower to, to get us through these next few weeks. And you, you seem to be building a, a relationship and understanding very quickly with Jamie Mackey and particularly Connor Washington, where they're getting to learn how you work. And I suppose it's a case of you getting to learn their runs and movements. Is that something that does just take time to naturally develop? Yeah, of course. You know, it's, it's not going to click instantly. Um, certainly, the the early um, early signs are good. Um, you know, they're both very lively players, and sort of a lot of the time want to play off the shoulder. And for me to to come short or either you know link up um, in the air, it's it's worked well. Um, certainly, the first two occasions, and and hopefully that can that can blossom over over time. Does the manager? pull you guys together to discuss how you, how you should work, how you should run off each other? Or do you almost have that conversation yourself with Connor or with Jamie? Do they tell you what they like or you tell them how you work? How does, how does the, the relationship develop? Obviously, you know, the manager will do a lot tactically throughout the week and explain to you how he wants the team to be set up and how he wants you to play and the movements he wants you to make. But a lot of the time, you know, they happen, it happens so quickly. You know, a lot of it's based off pure instinct. Right. Um, and, you know, Connor's, uh, Connor's played a lot of games. You know, Jamie's probably played uh, well over 400 games. So he, he knows, he know, and he's probably played with an array of different, different strike partners as well. So he knows how to, how to manage his game efficiently and he knows what runs to make. Mm-hmm. Um, but certainly the, the sort of the personal stuff between certain players, you know, that takes a little time to click. But the early signs, as I said, are, are really good. And was it instinct that made you feel that Telford wasn't the right move for you earlier in your career? <laughs> I got Come on, Andy. Give, it, give, us, give us the story then. Since, so 
You were manager of Telford I was at manager the time. Of Telford in the conference, or con- conference North. I think uh, the season that we went up. Um, oh, we'd throw that in there. Yeah, the we season you guided them <laughs> to went promotion at the first attempt. Okay, well, yeah. Yeah. pat on the back. <laughs> <laughs> didn't last too long after that. Um, That's probably why you didn't join. <laughs> no, but yeah, yeah, you're looking at the non-leagues, and we wanted a different type of striker at the time, and. Uh, we played against this young man. I think he was only about 19 at the time. He um, he caused us all sorts of problems, not just with his size or his physique, but his movement was good. And you know, so uh, I made a I made an inquiry to someone to get his number and rang him. Uh, at the time, he was playing for for Droylston up near Manchester. I think the story I got from him. So I'm just going to get a confirm now. He, <laughs> he, he, he was doing some university studies. Is that right? Yep. <laughs> uh, and didn't want to move to and quite right for that. So uh, you know put the phone down a little bit disappointed I thought you know what I'm going to ring him again in a few days time but um, he was adamant that was that was what he wanted to do so we respected that we moved on I've watched his career you know blossom uh, delighted for him and now delighted that he's at, uh, at QPR but uh, why did you turn me down is that the real reason <laughs> I think the location would have killed me a little bit I'd have been putting some putting some miles in my my, uh, my car at the time Telford was a bit out of the way well, we me. offered you all that money for expenses <laughs> <haven't we>? yeah <laughs> but it, um, you just didn't fancy coming to me did you it's <laughs> it funny how things turn full circle after yeah. you know probably six seven years down the line and you do know. you remember that conversation? Oh, well, absolutely! Yeah, I remember. I was in my car when I remember. I remember taking the phone call. Yeah, um, and at the time it was in a real attractive prospect because Telford were the high flyers in the league at the time. Um, Had a great manager as well. <laughs> <laughs> exactly. So it was, um, you know, it wasn't. It wasn't like a straightforward decision, but ultimately for me at that time is what I needed to do. So. Um, for, for my personal journey, actually, it, it transpired to work out quite well because you haven't done bad. Yeah, you haven't done bad. And it's you know it's great that me and Andy are now you know working side by side at the same club. Colleagues at QBR. Exactly, yeah. So. It's come quite full circle for you. I mean, there was a there was a lovely clip that was shown on the BBC earlier this week about your heady days with Oldham in the FA Cup when you scored goals against both uh, Everton and Liverpool. You're now in the Championship. You're a regular in the Championship. Obviously, with your time at Fulham and QBR you've got your degree as well so do you do you look at it and almost have to pinch yourself that you've come this far in your career given the the grounding you had in those non-league days uh probably you know nowadays you become a little desensitized to it all I've been Mm. been around for 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 a few years now it's my sixth season professional football Mm. um obviously memories like that you do sort of think wow a lot a lot has happened since those days and and it's sort of like one thing is escalated to another thing and it's the 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 um, opportunities have only got bigger and better you know moving to Leeds to Fulham to to now to QPR that you know they're all you know three of the the biggest clubs in English football um, in their own right so it's um it's it's been an interesting journey, shall we say, a little unorthodox. But yeah, I just want to take make the most out of it and, and really progress. And and this is a great opportunity for me at QPR. You know, it's a fantastic club. Certainly, growing up, it's been one of those that sort of dipped in and out of the Premier League, and it's got that big status and that that. What I quite like about it is that old school footballing feel. You know, you go to Loftus Road. It's always been one of my favourite stadiums to play at, just for the the sort of atmosphere. To I think nowadays you get those big glitzy stadiums. You know, it's championships full of them, which are lovely. The facilities are terrific, but you don't sort of have that real old school football feel, which mm. I think you do with your Fulhams and your QPRs. Yeah. Um, so that, that's that's a nice thing to be a part of, you know, as well as you know being 
representing such a such a fantastic club. You talk about old school feel. St Andrews is a, a similar ground that Absolutely, has that yeah. tough game this weekend at Birmingham. Uh, Gianfranco Zola's side going through a bit of a barren spell at the moment with just one win from the 13 games that he's been in charge. But that'll be a tough one, won't it, at St Andrews this weekend? Be a tough one, yeah. Um, you know, Birmingham haven't had the um, the best of runs um, recently, so it's for up to up to us to capitalise on that. Um, and you know, you know, be a tough, t- tough game. They're, you know, they're a good side. Um, yeah, I played at St Andrews a few times. Luckily, always done quite well there. So hopefully, that can it's be a good the, omen. Could be the card. I hopefully, haven't jinxed it, but <laughs> I can do all right. Yeah. Um, but um, yeah, it'll be it'll be a tough afternoon. In terms, of obviously, you, the way you approach the game, you're a very physical player. Do you enjoy almost creating that one-to-one battle with the centre back over the course of the game? Do you enjoy the the one-to-one challenge? The I suppose the the mental side of the game over the ninety minutes. Yeah, um, does that bring the best out of you? If you would you find it more difficult if your centre back you're up against was actually your best mate? Do you prefer it someone you don't <laughs> like? <laughs> no, you know as I always relish a physical battle. Um, you, you know, as, as a player, I think it's it's quite important you recognise what your strengths and your weaknesses are. I know I'm not going to run away from a defender, so I know that I'm going to going to try and out out muscle him and and. And play um, play sensibly and play play to my strengths. Um, so um, you know, and a lot of that is re- is reliant heavily on on players around me to to give me a supply line. So I look around, you know, the, the likes of Luke Freeman, Pav. Um, there's a lot of you know, Kaz when he comes on is is always a big threat. So there's, there's a lot of creativity in the team, which is which is what I need to to look good. So um, as much as I'll you know relish a physical battle with any centre half in the league, I'm I'm looking to my supply line to to put chances on for me and, and hopefully I can put them away and potentially those players that you've just mentioned they could really suit your style couldn't they because they have that that creative element absolutely you know luckily I've been been able to play with some really good wingers you know Leeds and at Fulham mm-hmm. and um, always tried to make the most of that and, and yeah, as I said that's that's what's going to make me look good so it's up to me to, to stay in the box and, and be a nuisance for defenders but also get on the end of these balls and, and put them away Andy, as a winger yourself, or sorry, a, a former winger yourself, I should say, the, the, we, we've touched on it already, haven't we, about that temptation to play that ball into the big man. But when you're in a wide area, you, you don't just want to look up and see Matt Smith there at six foot six or whatever you are. You want to know that there's other supporting runs coming. And is that the key for this combination up front to work, that if it is a big man, little man combination, that the runs are efficient um, and there's, there's more thought goes into it than just heaving one into the box for Matt to nod down for someone. Yeah, very much so. I think, you know, when you, you play with a big man up front, the tendency is, you know, you almost become a little bit one-dimensional. But it was evident to me uh, the Saturday game, first half, Matt was dealing with stuff that was coming straight down the, the middle of the pitch and he was doing ever so well to get touches. Second half, things were coming in from slightly higher up the pitch and from what I would consider better angles. So wider areas. Wider areas. And as I say, I try to sign him. I know if you stick things in the box, he'll get on the end of them. So uh, we've just touched on, we have the players in the squad to do that. There's a time and a place to go long, early. There's also a time and a place to work yourself up the pitch and, and, and certainly get people around them. Because it might not be, you, you, sometimes you don't score with the first contact. Uh, it's the bits, so we need to get people around them. And, and I uh, guess Luke's goal on Saturday is a classic, classic prime example. Prime example. People in and around in the box, a little bit scruffy, felt him, but you've got people in that vicinity. Um, and that was a pleasing thing for, for me again Saturday. You know, we had a lot of numbers in the box on numerous occasions. Especially in the second period. Especially in the second half. So, uh, But as I say, from a winger, 
nothing better. I played with the best, you know, the Mr. Ferdinand, Les Ferdinand. He was, he was, he was terrific. You knew if you put it in an area, he would give you. A, he'd have a chance of getting on the end of it. He made bad balls into good ones. He's got the capabilities of doing the same. So finally, Matt, big big week coming up. Three games in seven days. Birmingham um, away, Wigan at home, and then Preston away. Um, is it a case of now? wins are more important than performances given that the gap is is just five points yeah i think so you know um i think any player will tell you they they want wins on the board it's you know as much as uh, the performances do count at this stage of the business end of the season you will need to be putting points on the board um you know as you said it's it's a busy week but i think as as a player in the championship you're sort of used to your three games a week it's it's kind of it's almost odd to have a saturday to saturday (laughs) nowadays so it's one of them that will be will be well versed for um, and um, certainly very winnable games so we need to um, mean to put points on the board and um, you know looking around the squad I think we've definitely got got the belief to do that well we've got uh, Les Ferdinand who's currently eyeing up the Loftcast has he given <laughs> you any you just mentioned Andy Sinton there um, or Andy Sinton just mentioned about how Les was one of the best headers he played with has Les spoken to you about how you can play better as a striker or giving you advice yeah, absolutely. Um, you know, as, as I mentioned, I'd, I'd spoken to Les at length before I'd, before I'd signed, and also, you know, since I have signed, he's been uh, careful what I say. He's yeah, <laughs> he's just walking. Um, <laughs> but um, as a, you know, as Andy touched on, you know, Les was was the best in that field, and that's that's something that I'll try to emulate for QPR. And if I can be half as good as as what he was, then I'll be I'll be a happy man. There you go, Les. He said it all right. But from just from your point of view, Andy's mentioned playing alongside you and the sort of striker you were. From what you've seen of, of Matt, how impressed have you been with the impact he's had? Oh, I've been very impressed so far. And, you know, I said to Matt the other day, I think somewhere along the line, someone in his career has said to him, all you, all you can do is you're big, you can jump in the air, but I think he's got so much more that he can offer the Queen's Park Rangers and we'll get it out of him because I think he will be tremendous for us. Corner to Queen's Park Rangers. Birmingham have everybody back in towards the middle. Yes! Header. Oh, is it? Stephen Corker gets it. A header from point-blank range. It's another set-piece goal for QPR. But they won't care a jot this afternoon. They're well back into this game. So Birmingham on Saturday ended 1-1, didn't it, at Loftus Road? But a hell of a lot has changed since then. Ian Holloway now in the QPR hot seat. Gianfranco Zola in the Birmingham hot seat. Um, all to play for at St Andrews this weekend, Andy. Certainly is. Uh, you know, Birmingham on a poor run since Zola's gone in yeah, there. 1-1, that lost eight, drawn four of his 13 in charge. <laughs> Been here before there, haven't we? Yeah. <laughs> Rather them away. <laughs> so, uh, so, yeah, so uh, first of all, I don't like to speak about other clubs, but uh, Gary Rowett being replaced at the time he was replaced. I think every football fan in the country... Bonkers couldn't understand it but you know it happens um, he's gone in there Birmingham new ideas new way of doing things that'll take time and the results are pretty poor at this moment in time so uh, let's not talk about Birmingham let's talk about us it's about us we need to go there we need to start putting stuff on the board putting in a performance that when we get in our cars or get on the bus we've got something to build on going into Tuesday night yeah you want to take something away from that game don't you whether it's a point or or all three and I guess and we've been in this situation many times this season, as Andy just, just dwelled on there. We need to start the game well, frustrate their players, frust- which in turn will frustrate their fans, and really try and get a, a stranglehold on proceedings early on. I think Birmingham will be approaching that game in exactly the same vein because 
they're at home against a team that's struggling in the table, they'll say, right, this, if you, Gianfranco's early, you're saying, right, this is a chance to, to win here and kickstarters. So I would imagine, star-wise, it could suit us because we're going to be playing against a team that will be on the front foot, go all out attacking because mm. that's what St. Andrews will be demanding. And it does seem, you look at recent performances, recent results that have gone our way, it's been against the teams that we almost allow to have that extra yeah, possession. That come on I, to you. Exactly. I wonder whether it could work for us in that way. The only concern will be if they, if they do get the first goal, then it's going to be a very difficult game because they'll be... St Andrews will be a, a quite lively place. On the flip side, as you say, Ian, yep. if we can frustrate them for 20 minutes and they're not getting too many inroads and breaking us down, then their uh, support could quickly become our support. It's remarkable, really, isn't it? They were on the verge of the top six, weren't they, when, when they dispensed with Gary Rowell. They're now 14th. They're just six points ahead of QPR. So, like you say, Paul, a real opportunity. But it's football's a funny old game, and QPR have, have certainly dispensed with managers over the years. Let's not beat around the bush. There's been many changes here, but that one really did surprise everybody, mm. didn't it? When that broke on Sky Sports News and you're thinking, hang on, am I reading that right? Or am I drunk? Yeah. What's going on? <laughs> Gary Rowe, it's left Birmingham. Yeah, it's got to be one of the strangest ones, certainly, of this season. Mm. Uh, you know, if you look at the job... Because you know him quite well as well, don't you? you know I knew when he was at Burton, you know, I used to, because when I was managing at Telford, quite close by, we were a part-time uh, side train at night time, so I used to use some of my time during the days to go and watch managers work. Gary used to invite me into Burton, really impressed what he does. But if you look at the job he did at Birmingham, I think his first game in charge was after they lost 8-0 at home. That's right. You know, they were bottom of the league. He's had no money. To get them to where he got them, then for them to be dispensed of... Listen, we don't know what... Something might have gone on behind the scenes. We, we're not privy to it's, that. It's the ultimate non-footballing football decision, isn't it? Yeah. I mean, there's all this talk at the minute, isn't there? And we're recording this the day after Arsenal have just been slapped 5-1 at Bayern Munich. But there's always this, be careful what you wish for mm. in football. Sometimes as an owner, you've got to be careful what you wish for as well because I'm assuming they saw the Gianfranco Zola, all singing, all dancing Zola, who was probably in the top three Premier League players of all time. All time behind maybe Omri and one or two others, but right up there, isn't he? Um, but managerial-wise, has never really cut the mustard at the very top level. But they've probably looked at him and thought, you know, we need a big name. We're new owners, we need a big name. And a lot of owners do make this mistake, but it's remarkable how they've gone from such high elevations under <coughs> Rowett to mm. then almost on the flip side, if their form had been like this earlier in the season, it, I mean, you could argue they are still in a relegation battle because yeah. they're dropping like a stone. But sometimes in fo football can be, a, you've been in the game a lot longer than I have, Andy, but it can be a funny old game. I think you said earlier on, bonkers, you know, yeah. some of the decisions that are made, you just, you just look, you sit back and you just go, didn't see that coming. Why has yeah. that happened? And it's, but you know what? That's why we love it, isn't it? Mm. It's a bizarre one. And for Zola, he almost came in in a difficult position because mm. he's taken on a successful team. And that's the last thing you want to be doing. In similarly, David Moyes takes over the champions. Yeah. So, well, there's only one one way you're going. Yeah. And in that situation, I think it was widely considered Gary Rowett was punching above his weight. With, Birmingham were punching above their weight, flirting with the playoffs. And Zola's come in almost to maintain that punching above their weight. And as soon as they happen, suddenly he's under pressure. And also, he's coming when. Um you know, sometimes when a manager leaves, the fans have played a little part in that. Mm. But, you know, the fans love Gary Rowett, so it's another this, difficult yeah. uh, That's why I touched on the, on the Wenger one, really, because it's, that's the other way, isn't it? The Arsenal board have always been behind Arsene Wenger, yet there's now this get Arsene out, he's, you know, he's outstayed his welcome. 
But you only have to look up where Arsenal were when Wenger joined 20 odd years ago to where they are now, top four for the last however many years. Well, if we're talking about Wenger, um, you know, he has been one of the best in this country. What he's done for Arsenal Football Club fans, people do get a little bit impatient and think they've got a divine right. You know, um, he keeps getting criticised for getting them in the top four of the Premier League. It's not a bad achievement. Yes, they haven't won it. There's 88 other clubs in England, professional clubs, that it, was certainly yeah, uh, he, like that headache. He hasn't won it, but maybe after 20 years, maybe it's time for either them to make a change or him to make mm. that decision for the club. You know, but... Um, it just but, proves uh, in yeah. football, you just never know. Yeah, and and I, we've gone a little bit off yeah, topic but here, but you just, it's, it's worth discussing because you just never know what's going to happen. And I think particularly in the case with Zola, it's... New owners come in, they want their man in charge. Mm -hmm. And I remember when Flavio Briatore and yep. Bernie Eccleston came in, John Gregory was in charge. And actually, you, you look back and think, had he not been in, that, in the position, he was perfect for them because he was a, a big name in terms of he'd managed Aston Villa in the Premier League. Yep. He had ex-QPR links and he could speak fluent Italian. So he ticked every box for them. The only box he didn't tick was he wasn't their appointment. Yep. So it was only a matter of time. And I think uh, John Gregory tells a story that his first meal, he went out for Flavio. Flavio said, how long is your contract? And John Gregory <laughs> said, are you, are you looking to sack me? And Flavio said, not yet. <laughs> <laughs> Enough said. Um, so Birmingham, like we say on Saturday, and then... Wigan after that, and I don't know about you guys, but earlier in the week on Tuesday night, you're watching all those results come in, and Wigan had a tremendous result at Wolves, and my phone actually said that Blackburn had equalised away at Sheffield Wednesday <laughs> two minutes from time, and all the emotions, because it, it's at that stage of the season now where those midweek fixtures, and I know we didn't have one because of the fact that we changed ours, but every result matters at the minute, and yeah. Wigan come into... We don't obviously know how they're going to fare at the weekend, but they'll come into this game having just played away at Wolves, another relegation rival, knowing that knowing that they can get a result at one of their rivals, so they'll be buoyant. You mentioned the, the results and your phone going and things like that on Tuesday. I have to admit, it's the first time um, I've sat in front of that results service and on soccer, so midweek, Gillette, soccer, Gillette midweek, soccer, whatever it's special. called, uh, and really focused on the teams in and around us. Now, that's... Mm. Because they show the goals live now yeah. as they go in. Don't they? You could say to me, is that because you're worried? Well, yes, because, you know, we're, we're, we're five points above where we, we don't want to be. And it was, I think, on New Year's Eve, we, for about five minutes, I think we dipped our toe in the water, being mm. in the bottom three, yeah. and that's not nice. But 15-game <laughs> season, five points above it, I think we'll be absolutely fine. But there's enough concerns because of the number that's alongside QPR in terms of where we are in the league. Yeah. yeah our last couple of results that we, we do need to, to start picking some, some results up. So Wigan, massive game. I think I was talking to Paul earlier on, you know, uh, I just looked from Brentford down. Brentford are 15th. If you take the teams down, we've played 12 games and took 12 points. Mm, that needs to improve. That needs to improve because if you can, and no game's easy, we've said that time and time again, another cliche, you know, no, there's no easy game in the championship. But if you, if you, if you beat Wigan at home, you beat Rotherham at home, you, you've got a tough one at Bristol City away, but you know then you've got um, Cardiff at home. Cardiff well, at home. Yeah. You know you can you can pick up the points that will see you okay against these teams. Then anything against the Brightons of this will become a bonus. Yeah. But yeah, we haven't been on our best against teams in and around us. What's the magic number then? What do we need? How many more wins? Four more wins. Does that get us over the line? What does that give us? Forty-six. We're on thirty-four. 
I'm just concerned we're having this conversation. <laughs> I know, yeah. <laughs> but yeah, it's, you've got to be realistic. Yeah, I, I think the... Um, the so before- 15 games, so yeah, you'd be, high, you'd be pinpointing four victories as a minimum to get you yeah. out of the mire. I think the performances give cause for optimism. Exactly. The points return yep. is, gives rise for concern because it's five without a win. And while the performances, by and large, in those five games have been encouraging, we've not won any. Yeah. Yeah, and on the flip side, the previous games we perhaps didn't play as well, and we picked up points. That's how crazy the. Yeah. Grant Hall said this week. And now, the the players' mindset is almost: it's not about the performance; it is just, just about the three points. Just yeah. get any points on the board. An ugly one 0 at St Andrews would be beautiful on Saturday. I take that. Just looking back then um, to the game against Huddersfield on Saturday, there was a fantastic moment at halftime, wasn't there, when we inducted in another six. Um, former QBR players into the Forever Ours Club, but with a bit of a twist on this occasion because it was players sadly no longer with us, Andy. Yeah, uh, it was a great idea. I fell from the club and I was I felt honoured and privileged to be a part of the day. It was a lot of hard work went into it, uh, you know, over many weeks to make it happen. I think it was incredibly well received and quite rightly so. Uh, it's something we intend to do as a club over coming weeks, months and years. Yep. You know, and sadly that list of People who've graced our football club are sad, sadly no longer with us. Was only going to get bigger, but it's something. Um, it was the right thing to do, and it was a really. Uh, I thought it was a really good day. And a lot of people were saying about where where were the family of Ray Jones, and obviously the the Springett family on the day couldn't make it in the end. So um, just so everybody is aware, we did try making contact with Ray's family, and we will continue to do so, um, and one or two others as well. The Unfortunately, um, with something like that, the list will inevitably get longer over the years, so um, we'll certainly be paying tribute to those guys in due course. There'll be two more uh, inductees against Wigan on Tuesday night, which we'll announce next week. Um, Just a little bit of housekeeping. The Stars of 67 event has now sold out in the build-up to March the 4th, the big anniversary that's coming up. Uh, We've announced the Forever Hours Golf Day, Andy, and I know you'll be dusting off the clubs um, on April the 19th, and Mr Morrissey probably will as well. Um, down at Stockley Park and £350 uh, for a team of three and get to play with a QPR legend as well. It's a, it sounds like it's got all the ingredients to be a great day. Well, it's another exciting uh, event. Um, you know, every club I've been involved with have, have done golf days, um, some more commercially geared than others. Uh, ours, um, you know, the Forever Ours Club, we've said from day one, and I'll, I'll, I'll use this now if we've got a minute just to say about the Forever Ours Club. It's not a, people say, what is it? It's not, not a Hall of Fame. It's not an elitist Hall of Fame that some clubs do. And there's nothing wrong with that. You know, we're just the 20 or 30 best players in the club's history get in. Just the internationals get in. Just that you've been part of the best team in the 60s, 70s, 80s, 90s or whatever you get in. Ours is more inclusive. We pride ourselves on being a community club where people do a, a lot of work behind the scenes that goes unseen, unnoticed, as well as what they've done on the pitch. So we will include them as well. Um, so yeah, it's just a uh, it's just a thing that we're we're developing. We're, we're six months in; it's very much in its infancy. But you know, already 36 players plus the six sadly no longer with us on Saturday have been, you know, recognised um, and thanked for the services at the club. And by the time the season draws to a close, we'll have we'll have had 50 ex players back. I think that's a remarkable effort on everyone's behalf at the football club. In year one as well, Paul, and you're part of those celebrations at halftime when you're interviewing former players, or as it was on Saturday, interviewing Andy about the former players no longer with us. And you're on the pitch, and 
you get that sense that it really means something to the QPR supporters. Yeah, without a doubt. And I'd also just like to uh, congratulate Andy on speaking so well. I thought he spoke brilliantly. Um, Thank you. And it was, it was actually quite emotional when you've seen the families mm. come out because it's so emotional for them. And you can see them coming out and some of them getting quite upset as, yeah, they, as they walked out because they can hear the ovation that their husband or their dad was getting from the fans. And yeah, I brother, mean, that, yeah. that is emotional at the best of times. So I, I thought it was, uh, it was great. And I, I thought Andy spoke brilliantly on, on all the inductees. Um, and yeah, it is. It's something that you can see the fans do really enjoy. And you can get people out there to have interviews. And, and sometimes you're doing the interview and you can sense that people aren't overly listening to what you're talking about or who, who you're talking to, to be completely honest. But with the former R's, when they come out or was the case with speaking with Andy, mm. you can sense that the fans really do like to, to hear from the, these ex-players, their memories, etc. And it, it's great and looking forward to it continuing over the coming months and years. And there will be plenty more exciting announcements uh, for the aforementioned 50th anniversary of the 67 League Cup final. Keep them peeled over the coming days because there's some really good stuff that we've got planned heading into the March the 4th anniversary. Gents, before we finalise things, nine points up for grabs from Saturday to next Saturday. What would be a decent return in terms of us edging ourselves away from the bottom three? Nine. (laughs) (laughs) Three wins. Simple as that. We'll go nine. Six, we would, you know, if you take two points a game, you do... you're doing incredibly well to get two average and two points a game but as we've seen in this division it's you know every game it's so it's so tough you only got like a Cardiff where they were a few weeks ago um, you know we were on a little run Wolves were on a great run they've hit the buffers again mm. Aston Villa on a horrendous Villa run are dropping like yeah. a stone yeah, I've got friends who support them you know and they're, they're the three that go down will be the stones that drop quickest <laughs> <laughs> so we just got to treat There's every a title uh, for the podcast <laughs> Every, every game on its merits. Let's go to Birmingham. Let's get something from the game. Yeah. Let's, let's come back down that M40, if that's the way people are travelling. Let's come back with something and go into another huge game on Tuesday night. 